Welcome back to the Complete Tech Heads podcast with me, Tom Edwards. This is episode three. So if you've stuck with me this far, then thank you very much. I really appreciate the support. So this week I am talking to Alex Sellers. So Alex is a tech marketing leader. He is currently the head of marketing at Click, which is a uh, sustainable circular economy tech company. Um, so we talk about that a bit. He's also been at various different um, sort of early stage tech brands that many of you will already know. So Ribbon, Trint, iCandy, uh, Incorpro. Um, he's been kind of all over these the, the various um, sort of early stage startup, VC backed startup world of the London technology sector. So um, it kind of works very much in a similar industry to me. And I really love tech generally. And so I found it a really interesting conversation. Um, we talk about all sorts of different stuff. Um, so we kind of started off on that London tech scene. Um, but then we kind of go on to talk about um, the marketing landscape generally, how you can best market startups on kind of limited budget. And then we also speak a bit about imposter syndrome and having to pretend to be an expert at various things as a as a kind of marketer in these agile companies. Um, and then we cover AI quite significantly um, towards the end. So lots on that as well. Uh, and then finally, we do briefly discuss uh, mentoring, which is uh, how Alex and I know each other. We um, do a regular mentoring thing at a at a local school. So we talk a bit about that as well. It's something that I know we both very much enjoy. Uh, so without further ado, here is Alex Sellers. Alex, how are you doing? Good to see you. Oh, good to see you. Yes, happy to be here today. Um, so we obviously know each other pretty well already um, from our mentoring escapades, which um, I'm sure we will talk about uh, in greater depth a bit later. Um, but I wanted to kick off today asking you about the tech world, uh, because you are obviously someone who's worked at various different tech startups, um, always, I think, in-house. Um, I'm obviously an agency guy and kind of always have been. So I wanted to learn from you what you find interesting and exciting about the technology landscape. What got you into it in the first place? 100%. So um, in my early career, I played around in a couple of different industries at a couple of different uh, um, companies, uh, you know, and grad roles, that kind of thing. And it was always the technology aspect of it that grabbed my attention uh, more quickly than anything else. Uh, I'm originally from New Zealand. And when I moved to London eight years ago, I had one pretty clear ambition about what I want to achieve professionally when I got here. Once more, not realizing that I was going to be here eight years later. That's a whole other story, though. And that was to get myself embedded within the London tech scene because it just has this amazing reputation. You see you know, the potential to do incredible things. So having picked up an initial contract role, I managed to get myself pretty fairly embedded within the startup scene. And it's something I love so much just because you're really at the at the cutting edge of what's possible. You're playing around with technologies that when you mention to your friends, they have no idea what they're talk you're talking about. But then five years later, someone always tapped me on the shoulder and be like, isn't that something that you were doing half a decade ago and it's now yeah, yeah. 
managed to get itself quite into the mainstream. So, you know, you're always, you're always learning, you're always getting challenged, you're always having to make sure that you're updating your knowledge and, you know, having no ego about what you do know and what you don't know. So is that why you wanted to come to London then? Because of the sort of thriving tech scene? Because I think being, being from London, I kind of, you can kind of forget that sometimes that it does have this kind of global uh, recognition as a, as a center of kind of, you know, tech and innovation. Was that part of your mindset at the time? Uh, it probably wasn't my primary driver. My primary driver was like life experiences, but I'd say it's a very large part of the why of the reason why I'm still here eight right. years later. Um, initially coming from, you know, travel, I was in my mid-twenties, um, see, see what the other side of the world had to do. But yeah, definitely a big part of why I'm, I'm still here all these years later. So I, I, I feel like in, in, our, in our lines of work, there's a lot of kind of mythology around how you market tech companies. I think a lot of people think that you just can throw money at Google endlessly and just have endless growth. And then that builds a brand, right? And that's, you know, and, and, and there's also a lot of kind of um, like astrology around um, some of the demand gen tactics, you know, people pretending like they know a lot more maths than they really do and that kind of stuff. Like, where do you most frequently see tech marketing going wrong? And how do you elevate beyond that just kind of typical growth marketing pattern of throwing money at everything? Uh, that's a really interesting question. So, I mean, predominantly I work with younger companies, you know, who, to my, to my opinion, have the potential, like they look like they're about to they have, the, have the ability to achieve something special. And so at that stage, when you're at companies that are, you know, quite often pre-series A, um, early stage, it's about making sure the, cust- the company really understands what it's selling and who it's selling to. So I'm a very big... Yeah, and not, not getting, and, not getting um, carried away with... Uh with their own hubris, I guess, um, and like being a bit humble about it. Yeah, and I mean, you see so many of these younger companies coming out with, they come in a completely different industry, but talking, like introducing themselves the exact same way, like we are the world's leading, we have this cutting edge, um, and that, that kind of jargon, which people just gloss over these days. And it's about getting back to the actual fundamental understanding of why you've been created, what what you're there to achieve and who you're there, like what problem are you there to solve? Yeah, yeah. Fundamentally, the big problem that I see is businesses not actually understanding who they're selling to, what they're about and what problem they're there to achieve. Um, working closely with founders, you know, some founders are fantastic at knowing the limitations and knowing what the product can do in this moment. But founders are a special breed of character by the, the very nature of what they're setting out to achieve. Um, it takes a very driven and you know, ambitious human to, to, uh, to go and do what they're trying to do. So quite often with that ambition and with that natural drive and enthusiasm, they'll start talking about their product in a, in a way that it might be true five years from now, 10 years from now. Um, right. But it's not solving the problem that they're there to solve right now. And it's about really going into conversations with no ego, stripping it back and make sure that you're getting the basics right. So that is really doing a lot of research on the customer, understanding what the problem is and making sure you're speaking to people right there in the now. And yeah, I'm a very big believer in making sure that the the necessary positioning workshops and frame uh, frameworks are being put into place before you actually go out there and start the spend and start trying to scale because you, you've got to make sure that every single pound, especially in a young company where, re- where budgets might be tighter, is is earning its right to be spent and that's on a uh, on a recurring basis yeah i like that i think it's it's 
it's easy to get hooked on the drug of demand gen marketing as well, right? Like it's it's easy to 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 plug it in and then be afraid to unplug it, right? Whereas I think with storytelling and you know building a a brand in the kind of the way that I I suspect you and I would both recommend. Ideally, you want to get to a position where you could switch it off and you wouldn't just die, right? Exactly, yeah. I mean, quite often I'm the only marketer, uh, not in my current company, but quite often I'm a, I am the only marketer. And especially when you're building a marketing infrastructure for the first time, you want to make sure that if you go on holiday, I, I go back to New Zealand once here, I want to make sure that when I go back to New Zealand for two weeks, the entire marketing infrastructure doesn't just stop or is all of a sudden unmanaged. You still want to have that, that, that machine uh, operating uh, in the yeah. background. Um, so you said, so when we spoke about doing this, um, you said something that I thought was, was quite interesting, which was, um, that you are pretending to be an expert at things often, like, and I, like, obviously, you know, you're an expert marketer, but I feel like I could kind of associate with that because, and I guess when you are the only marketer, you probably are wearing a million different hats and you kind of do have to like pretend like you know a lot about various different things right like i thought that was an interesting way of putting it is that how you think of your role when you are the only marketer i i definitely say so and i think this is something that can tie in back into earlier stages of my career especially when i went from you know bigger companies into the, the more of the startup world but it's, it's even broader than that i think in that uh, a tech marketer, our skill set, you know, can jump industry to industry pretty easily and you just need to slot yourself in and get yourself up to speed. And it's every time I join a new industry, uh, whatever it might be, just making sure that you get yourself knowledgeable as quickly as you can on that. And a lot of that is faking it till you're making it. Yeah, going back a step for, Yeah, going back a step further from that as well. It's, um, uh, I mean, I, I've suffered from imposter syndrome a lot throughout my career. And I think a big part of that was down to um, when I first decided to take the step from, you know, bigger corporate life when I was in my early 20s and always in the back of meetings if I got invited at all. Then I took the step into going to a young startup where I was at just turned 25 and the most experienced marketer in the room and in all of the, all of the meetings with directors. And I mean, I'd had about two years, maybe just over two years of experience at that stage. And when I'm beginning called the expert marketer and I'm just there like, I have no idea what's going on right now. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's getting, making sure that even if you're feeling quite insecure, I always just thought if I, if I projected confidence in this, that, and I can get to this meeting, then I'm going to go back to my desk and I'm, I'm going to desperately like read all I can and make sure I upskill <laughs> myself so that next time they ask me this, I can be the expert on that specific subject. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, so I, we talk a, a fair bit about imposter syndrome and, like I don't think I've ever really had it and I and that sounds like quite a sort of big-headed thing to say but I kind of feel like it's not because I've ever thought that I'm that great I think I've always just had this deep belief that everybody else is faking it till they make it as well you know um, like I've always especially people with an entrepreneurial mindset that basically is the entrepreneurial mindset right it's like go and do it and then you know, figure out what you did afterwards or, you know, like make mistakes, move fast, break things, all of that stuff. Right. I think my, my working assumption, especially in tech was that basically that's what everyone's doing. Right. Like everyone's just, just trying to figure it out. Um, and like, I, I, like in the, in the bigger legacy companies, often you are right. Like so when I was at the, I used to work in newspapers doing, doing social, 
at like you know the telegraph and the sun and like i was only i was only like 25 or something and i hadn't been doing it long but I probably was the expert on social media because everybody else was like 50, right? And they were all like newspaper people. Um, so like, yeah, I think in the world that we inhabit, you you do you do kind of learn to be an expert in inverted commas pretty swiftly, right? Like you, you do just have Completely, to yeah. that as you go. And it depends what expert means in any given context you know i'm not about to write a phd on any subjects but am i going to be enough to you know get what needs to be accomplished to, to meet our objectives then yeah 100 yeah, percent. so so we, yeah. like you say that you you felt like you experienced imposter syndrome earlier in your career do you find that brings more empathy to your kind of like management style now if you're if you're working with younger teams a hundred percent. I'd say a lot of my management style has come from, you know, previous, I, I've had great managers in my career and I've had her, truly horrific managers. And I model myself as bad, as, as much off the bad managers about, you know, not made, replicating that experience as I do off the good managers, but the imposter syndrome as well. So I always say to younger members and with a genuine belief, like there is no stupid question. And then I try to, to, to prove that by, you know, if I'm new to an industry now and Imposter syndrome is not such a thing for me at this stage, uh, over a decade into my career. I, and I'm in a new industry and I'll just ask any question, despite how obvious it can be, just so that they can really see that there is no ego about this. There's nothing to be embarrassed by it. Just because you know, you've been in marketing for two years, you should definitely not have all the answers at that stage. So it's really just making sure that everyone knows that it's a, it's a safe space basically to help develop and grow. Well, it's also, it's that old thing, right? Where like if, usually there are at least two or three other people in the room thinking the same thing exactly, but they, yeah. they don't want to say it right and I think the more experienced you are often that can make people less inclined to ask stupid questions because they feel like they really should know it by now um, but yeah I, I, I'm very much an advocate of asking stupid questions <laughs> maybe it doesn't make me maybe it doesn't make me that well cut out to be a podcast host I don't know but uh, yeah definitely definitely with you on that one um, so a bit more then about solo marketing, plotting a career in, in tech, like what would be your advice to somebody trying to get into the world that you got into 10 years ago? How do you go about it? Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. I'll try and make it not, to, I, I love the world that I've ended up into. So I'm not going to try and make this sound too painful because there is a certain uh, masochistic nature that, uh, that's involved with going down this road. But um, I mean, I, honestly, I can't count the amount of times that I've, I've been in a business. I've been like, okay, this is the last early stage business I'm going to. I'm, I'm off to go join a corporate afterwards. <laughs> but it's about... Um, uh, it, it kind of gives you endless opportunity, uh, endless opportunities to go and do something because you can be very specific around what exactly is that you're chasing. And there's so many businesses out there that are looking for marketers at, you know, at an early stage that are going to be willing to take more of a chance on people. And it's really, it's not about waiting until you see a job advert that pops up or, uh, you know, some a LinkedIn ad. It's really about going out there and making things happen. I find so. Uh, I mean, the first startup that I had was literally just about, I, I saw some connections with a company that looked really interesting. And I just went and hit those connections that I had in LinkedIn. And I was just asking them, do you think there's going to be some way that we can uh, make this happen? And it turned into something that I was there for several years and actually managed to, you know, start embedding myself within the tech scene. 
Um, the next way that I've plotted my way through there probably isn't the most recommended, but, and it's something in hindsight, I think I'll go about changing, but I've always, after initially getting in for a long time, I wasn't really so much focused on the specific industry that I was going into. I was more right. focused on what the role was and how I'd be able to step up into that slightly more senior role, that slightly bigger salary, the slightly more senior role. And that has probably, if I'm being completely candid, led to uh, several career mistakes that I've made um, through the years. Whereas in re more recent years, I've really been taking the time to say, is this a company and industry that's going to potentially align with my personal values and something I'm going to be able to find interesting? Because so much of the time when you're a solo marketer or you're the only person, you've got to have such curios curiosity and thirst for learning everything about you. Otherwise, you're going to be missing all the best stories and you're not going to be able to connect with the people that you're trying to sell to on any level beyond the superficial, um, superficial like skin, like skin, um, uh, the surface level um, uh, knowledge of what you want to be reaching. Yeah. Um, so, so you would say pick on industry first. That's the most important thing to look for is an industry that's, that aligns with your personal values. I definitely say as you develop and you get the chance to you know you know have more you've got you're bringing more uh, knowledge more of a skill set into the businesses I'd say definitely take a step and uh, if you have the luxury you know of being able to really plot your path and uh, take the time to find something uh, in your junior years yeah it can be a bit harder to to, uh, to do that and sometimes you just have to take the role as it comes but yeah definitely as you develop a bit more in there great right so now I would like to talk to you about AI, which is, I think, the the thing that is obsessing my brain, yeah. but more than anything else, I feel like it's the only thing I think about these days um, is, is all of the various different possibilities. Um, when we last spoke about AI, you were talking about how it's done a sh basically a shitload of work <laughs> really quickly. Um, so like, what are you using it for? Where's it most effective? What's your take? So the first thing I'll say on this is, I mean, the last 12 months has kind of just been like, what, what's just happened? Because for so long in the tech world, including some of the businesses I've been at, we've claimed the marketing line of our AI-powered technology, AI-powered this, <laughs> yeah, AI-powered that. I know so many of those. Jesus, yeah. It's, I mean, it's I'm crazy. sure you've seen it countless times. Yeah, and yeah. I actually just started thinking of AI as some marketing buzzword that I actually banned from <laughs> yeah. being used within our business. you, you got to fake it till you make it, Alex, right? That's the... <laughs> <laughs> but it just it got so empty. And then, yeah, I mean, yeah. the, the one sh shining example of just like, wow, what's just happened um, was ChatGPT launched. Yeah. And um, they actually launched on Product Party the day before I launched, um, uh, not Product Party, sorry, um, on Product Hunt, the day right. before I launched a, a product on Product Hunt. So kind of monopolized all attention that went oh, towards God. it. It's just like, <laughs> oh my God, what's happened? And that really, I mean, I've always felt like I kept pretty up to date with my, my marketing tech stack. You know, I had the tools that I liked, I'd always be exploring other things. Yeah. But when I saw that, I was like, dear God, if I don't, you know, really make a massive effort over the next few months to re-educate myself, re-evaluate my tech stack and get on top of it. I'm going to be out of a job in five years because yeah, I, I think we've talked about this as well, Tom, but as yeah. if you're for, you know, for people like us at our age, if we don't keep on top of it, we're going to get replaced by it. So yeah. it's <laughs> making sure that we are the absolute experts in it to be able to, you know, guide it, prompt it and get the best out of it. But it, I mean, 
you, you must have seen it with the work that you're doing as well. It's just that the, the change that's happened in the landscape of the last 12 months is, is quite staggering. And it's still something that I'm, I'm trying to get, make sure I keep myself on top of. Sure. So what are you, what are you using it for? So, so chat, let's take chat GPT first. I don't know if you're using uh, AI like text to image or text to video, but let's, let's um, take chat GPT or, or in fact, first of all, what are you using? Are you using chat GPT or Bard or, or, or what? So I do have a chat GPT license, but I don't use it in a work capacity just because of the, the various security concerns that do come around it. I love it. I use it to plan holidays in my personal life. But I actually went about finding a technology that was going to be built on GPT, but um, that was going to have the more um, security credentials around it for sensitive information. Okay. So I've come across a platform called Jasper AI, which is built on GPT-4. Okay. It's yeah. You've mentioned phenomenal. this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So, so tell me about it. For, for people that haven't used this, basically, they call themselves like a writing assistant tool. And you can use it in a very similar capacity that you use GPT-4 to, uh, GPT-2. Uh, it has built-in templates, like every kind of template you can imagine. In the click of a heartbeat, you can build entire campaigns around things. And once more, with anything to do with AI, you're going to get the better outputs the more you put into it. So you can really train it, educate it. And once more, unlike GPT, actually, it, um, it has the knowledge to remember your previous instructions, your previous tone of voice. You can build that into the program. Nice. With this tool, we have two of us in our marketing team um, at my current role. I, I honestly think that we've got the output of what it would have taken eight, nine people to have done a decade ago when I started my career. And that is incredibly exciting and also quite scary for people that are coming into their career. Though I'm sure they're going to be, you know, masters at AI in a level that you and I don't quite understand. But Probably, it's yeah. quite, quite a revolutionary tool that has drastically changed the workflow um, that, of what my day-to-day -day looks like at the moment. And so is this across everything is this like social on the website like i don't know print material i don't know whether you're doing any <laughs> i don't know whether you're printing anything <laughs> like, is anyone anymore i don't know um but are you using it just like across the board basically so yeah we're a sustainable company so uh, we're very paperless but um, okay yeah, yeah, yeah of course. across the board so i mean there's instances i can kind of give an example of how my workplace changed so drastically now compared to what it would have been yeah. you know even five three five years ago yeah, yeah, that, I mean, so some of the startups I've worked at um, have had larger budget where we've worked with a lot of agencies. And um, quite often, you know, you've got a brief for a campaign, you, you work with your agency and, you know, a week, a week and a half later, they'll come back with an initial lot of work for you that you'll, you'll then go through, you know, workshopping and figuring out how you're going to activate this into the market. With uh, a program like Jasper and, you know, built on a, a platform like uh, ChatGPT, uh, it's got the capabilities of I can put my brief into this um, into this tool and within 10 minutes it's going to come out with not the final version of work but 80% of what the work um, of the final work would look like so I mean I am a content guy that's always been my background so with, within 10 minutes I can get all of this stuff you know the social posts blog posts uh, google ads LinkedIn posts all of that just all there written I'm also a big fan of Grammarly I'll stick that into Grammarly work it over myself, you know, fine tune points here and there, tighten the copy up. And in almost no time at all, within a few hours, I can have all the assets ready for an entire campaign, you know, ready to get out there to market. So the speed in which we're turning this around and being able to be, you know, nimble and um, 
and reflexive like and react quickly to any hot topics that might come up is is is, is night and day to what was was capable yeah. just a few years ago yeah it makes me think like what the future of seo even is right because like you've got you've got large language models producing seo content now that have been trained on the sum total of all the other seo content right and then are they just going to be like pumping you know soup into more soup right like you know it's <laughs> I mean, a terrible analogy but like is it just going to become this kind of self-replicating beast and i mean are, you know are we even going to be is creating seo content even going to be an effective strategy in in five years when you know we're, we're using ai's increasingly more often we're not even looking at search result you know 10 blue links anymore like i wonder yeah whether whether we're just kind of multiplying this seo soup which is going to become useless in <laughs> like five years i mean i don't know it's not there's not really much of a question there but like what, what do, no. you do you think like how do you think I mean I, I think you could do a whole podcast episode on that. It's not episode series on that full stop, just kind of exploring that topic because yeah. it's, I mean, I, I see it in a whole bunch of marketing communities. It's something that people would definitely put the thought into at the moment. My theory on where I think we're going to be in five years time doesn't bode well for the way that content marketing exists right now. But I think the way that these AI models have exponentially increased in such a short amount of time. Um, and I saw the the founder of OpenAI kind of talking about just like how they don't quite understand how it's improving so quickly and how um, they're actually looking at recreating the way that the models operate to be even more effective than they are right now. Is that I think that the AI model is going to be able to pull out the very best information straight away and just give it to people in an answer. So if you're not there in effect, number one, in the SEO spot right now, you're not going to get a look in for a whole bunch of the questions that are going to be asked. So I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to capitalize on it. If I did, I'd be an extremely rich person in five years time, but um, it's something that a lot of thoughts gonna have to go from marketing teams and agencies are gonna have to be very nimble about. Yeah. How, how about you? Do you have any any theories on what you think well, it's gonna look like? I mean, it's interesting you say that because yeah, you're probably right. AIs will just get to understand what you um, what you want really quickly. And so you might get to a point where we we initially flood the internet with SEO content. And then all of a sudden, everybody realizes that there's no point because the AI isn't going is, to, you know, if, if you don't hit the top spot in Google, or, well, not even Google, then, you know, then it just dies anyway. Um, but then if, if that happens, then there's nothing to train the next large language models on, right? So it I mean, does make you sort of think that we are heading for a real paradigm shift as in, you know, content marketing, as we know, it probably won't exist like it does in five years time, I don't think. Um, but who knows what's going to replace it? Because if the if, if the incentive to create content disappears, then people will stop creating content, right? And so like, how, how are you going to be found? Um, I mean, it could potentially be a very lucrative opportunity for Bard, for ChatGPT to, um, you know, place ads in the in the AI, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, I, I really don't know. It's um, it's a strange thought. And I mean, just to actually show how, how far it's come along in the last you know, 20, 25 years of the internet, what SEO used to be when people kind of realized you can game the system to, to get yourself ranking up higher when you know, the internet was still quite young, is that businesses would literally, you know, in the web one kind of version, where it was uh, a lot of uh, colors down the sides, 
they would just type the word in over. So, you know, say if the word that they're after is podcast, they'd type podcast in a thousand times, have it the same color as the um, font, same color as the background. And the search engine wasn't sophisticated enough that it was picking up on that. So if yeah. you even take that from where we are today to where we could potentially be, it's, I mean, it's going to be another massive overhaul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it is, it is crazy. I mean, you, you do sort of think that there, there still has to be some place for search. Right. I, I mean, I've, I've got to assume that because like I think part of the, the challenge that you'll have with AI going forward and part of the challenge that I've found with it now is that I don't always like I don't always know everything I know when I'm looking for something, you know, like there's a lot of nuance and context when I'm writing a prompt. Like there's a lot of nuance and context that I'm just carrying around in my head that my internal monologue might not ever even have verbalized, but it's just context that i understand and so it's it's very difficult to write you know you can't prompt the entirety of your own knowledge right and so like it's, it's difficult to know what it is that you're trying to get down until you've done it and then seen what what comes back and then you iterate and have a chat with the with the bot um so you don't always you don't always have like the whole story in the prompt so i still feel like there's that there, 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 there's going to be some room for human agency in all of this for a while and if there's room for human agency then you need more than just one option i think you know i mean google has apparently been trying to get rid of you know the 10 link page results page um for ages but actually you know people do scroll it isn't like google still hasn't got you know it's not like you get the perfect response to your search query every single time um, you do sometimes have to modify it. And so, you know, there's no reason to think that that the AI will necessarily do any better. And that it's, it's, even if it gets more intelligent, the problem is at the human side, right? Like our, our prompts aren't going to be perfect. You know, perhaps for people that work in the industry, they might be, you know, people that work with it every day, they would get better and better. But for your average consumer, I think, you know, their prompting isn't going to be specific enough to get the exact thing that they want all the time. So yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. Um, I really don't yeah. know, really don't know where it's going to be. We're safe for a few more, a few more I years. I think so. I think we're goes. safe. Yeah, I think we're safe. And I mean, look, th th there is also the idea that, you know, new technologies, they spawn new jobs, right? People thought technology was going to wipe out all jobs like in the sixties. And all, all that happens is that every time there's a new tech revolution, a whole host of new, things for people to do springs up that are generally more fun than the stuff that preceded them right yeah exactly um so what about text to image text to video have you had any have you uh played with with mid journey at all or, or runway or That's, any of that stuff i was about to say mid journey i've only played played with mid journey um you know on, on a personal level haven't actually yet brought it into the workplace but definitely something that um I, i've talked about with other people uh at, at my company here uh, text to video is a really interesting one. Um, I mean, once more, you're creating videos so quickly with programs that cost so little money that five, 10 years ago, you'd have been going out to an agency and easily paying 3,000 uh, pounds uh, to do. So there's one in particular that I quite like called Pictory. I'm not sure if you've uh, come across it before. I haven't. No, I've been using Runway for video. That's pretty good. Um, runway. I haven't come across Runway. I'm, I'm sure it's probably uh, quite quite similar in what they do. But yeah, there's, basically... so, there's so many of them now. It's great. Like I, I feel like I'm constantly sprinting just to keep up with all of the AI news and doing a terrible job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with Pictory, what you can do basically is when you've got your scripts done there. I mean, you could even 
put your script through a program like Synthesia, which is going to do in a very natural way, a, um, a human voice, you know, a very professional human reading of okay. what you've just yeah. written. And um, then you can put that into Pictory and it's going to be able to detect the different language that's been used throughout the, um, throughout the script and automatically put different stock, um, stock video clips of a pretty high quality into that video that's just playing alongside it. From there, I mean, once more, I, I find I, I use the term 80% a lot with this because I find that the, the AI gets you about 80% of the way. Yeah. And if there's any parts that you're not happy with, it's such a quick process just to go in, you know, search for the uh, image that's going to better suit what you're trying to get across there, edit, play around, around with the lens of how long it's going to appear on the screen, and bang, you're done. Hour, hour and a half, so you've got yourself a video that would have been, yeah. you know, a week, week and a half, two weeks turnaround at a, a cost of several thousand pounds. Well, it's interesting as well because that 20% is like, that's the most important 20%, right? That's the bit that, that, that where you are bringing into play all of that context and nuance that I was talking about before, right? Like all of the sort of sum total of the things that you've learned. Like, I mean, I wonder if, if you know, that that 20% is actually what we're all going to be trading on. And we're all, you know, we can just really, really good people, really creative people. Um, and, you know, obviously as a, as a, an agency guy, that's kind of what we're trading on, right? We're, you know, just coming up with ideas and, and, and turning out interesting new or different or exciting work. Like you can just deploy, whereas, you know, it would have taken, taken you, you know, uh, I don't know, a week if it's to, to produce a piece of content, you can now do that bit in just one day with that 20% and then turn your creative attentions to the next thing and just exponentially increase your output whilst still having some recognizably human value add. And really focusing with that 20%, you've, you've got the base of it there. You're just spending your time on getting the quality, you know, tightening the quality and like elevating how you're actually uh, going about it. So, yeah, I mean, at this point, at this point, that 20% is critical, I think. I, think, I feel like we might be on the brink of, of coining some new business jargon here, like one of those <laughs> sayings, you know, like the, the AI... 80 the ai the, the ai 20 human 20 yeah maybe not yeah. uh, hubris on my part i think um but yeah i mean so anything anything else interesting in the ai world that you're you're thinking about at the moment with the ai world at the moment i mean right, right now i'm quite new into this role we've got so many things that we're working on right now you know we're building positioning we're building out this this base understand infrastructure so we're getting ourselves I'm not that, let's talk let's moment. talk about click let's because we haven't covered click yet so tell me about click you've been there not very long um what do you guys do uh so yeah i've been here for just about two months now and we're a circular tech company for environmentally conscious businesses so um, I mean, every year there's 54 million tons of e-waste that's produced, uh, a large, a horrifyingly large amount of that by the business world. So we're helping businesses, you know, reduce their carbon, foot, carbon footprint in a very actionable and simple way forward. That's also, you know, it's, it's very cost effective. So we've got several different options of being able to purchase sustainable tech um, that has absolutely minimal carbon footprint at an incredibly high quality, something that I don't think I was quite appreciative of, you know, I heard, if I heard the term refurbished computer six yeah. months ago, I'd have been like, well, I want a brand new one. But <laughs> I see the quality this is coming out with, the savings that it has and just understanding the actual impact that it has on the, uh, on the planet. Mm. And yeah, that's what we're at the moment. We're really just trying to make sure that we get a true understanding of the value that we're putting out there so that we can, 
you know, then put that out to market through our various campaigns and pay channels and all of that. So two months in, we're, uh, we're making good progress at the moment, leaning on the AI tools, but uh, there's, there's definitely a lot to do, but it's, uh, it's a very exciting role, this one. Nice. So are you talking to me now from a refurbished laptop? I this is not a refurbished one, but this is a sustainable uh, laptop. So this okay. is what's known as XS Stock. So in a previous, this is a brand new laptop that's never been used before, but it was of an older years model that Apple made too much of. So when they had their new model that went out, then this one all of a sudden becomes XS. And rather than going to waste, they'll sell to uh, companies like ourselves that can then pass it on at a massive discount that is um, yeah, at a far lower carbon footprint than they'd be doing if they were buying the, the latest model. Amazing. And that's great. I didn't even realize that that was a thing. Neither had I. And this is, you know, this is part of the challenge at educating uh, people like yourself. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why the world yeah, needs the needs click, right? Yeah, that's why you've got to exactly. be spreading the word. So the last thing I want to talk to you about is, uh, I guess, a shared passion of ours, uh, which is the mentoring we do. So we both work with a charity called Reach Out. Uh, shout out to Reach Out if they're listening. Um, and that's obviously how we how we met. Um, but what made you get into the mentoring? In my professional career, um, I, it's something that I really enjoy a lot. But there is a when you're when you're working in tech and you know you're bogged down in numbers and trying to stand out from competition. There's a human level of fulfillment that I really wasn't finding in the role. That if I was talking to my friends who are teachers and doctors and um, roles like that, that they talk about with such passion. So uh, it was around the time of uh, the pandemic, I started you know, putting the feelers out there and find, trying to find an extra curricular hobby that I could get into where I, I felt like I'd really be able to contribute something back because I feel like I'm in a, in a very blessed position and that I've got a lot to offer. So um, when, when I came across the idea of mentoring, it was something that jumped out to me right away. Um, I've always been a people person. I love working with younger people. And um, yeah, so started it at the same time that you did, I believe, which was in 2021. And yeah, yeah. Became, uh, you know, one of the parts of the week that I look forward to the most. Um, yeah, just a few hours, but getting to work with these kids who are, you know, just quite incredible. They got such life, such personality to them. Um, great banter. So great banter. <laughs> I mean, incredibly smart. They all, I mean, hey, you and I are speaking one language. They all speak, you know, three, four, know, five languages. And it's, it's mad, quite, isn't it? It's quite crazy. Do you remember but, that um, time where they put us to shame? Where, where they, uh, this bit of a anecdote, but um, when we had to all line up by the number of languages that we speak, <laughs> and it, uh, like with the most on one side and the, and the least on the other, and it was just all the mentors on one side with like seven <laughs> And then all, all the mentees, sorry, on one side with like seven, and then all the mentors just standing there with like one, you know, uh, like all blagging our GCSE French for two, you know. It was, uh, yeah, and, ridiculous. Yeah, when when you say seven languages, it's not an exaggeration. I think that actually one of the kids actually does speak seven languages. Yeah, and um mental. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah I'm, sure, I'm sure it's the same for you, but just, you know, such a, such a fulfilling and enjoying part you know to, to build into the week and really try to give something back as well yeah it's great i love it i love it um and and a good good networking opportunity as we are as we're proving right now right so anyone anyone listening um hit up reach out they're always looking for uh for mentors um it's it's exclusively a good thing i would say there's no downside is there it's just it's no just downside at all so uh yeah it is yeah good well look on that note um i think i'll um I'll wrap it up. 
Um, but listen, Alex, thanks so much for jumping on. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, lovely to see you again. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining me. Yeah, been a pleasure. And uh, I'll see you at uh, mentoring tomorrow night. Yes, I'll see you at mentoring tomorrow night. Yeah, great. Lovely. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Alex. Take Peace care. Time. Have a good one. Bye. Complete decades. <laughs>